So as Family Church, we, we've been looking at uh, the different values that we hold fast to. If you've missed one, you can go back um, and have a listen. Um, I believe from this week on, um, when you get an email out from Claire through the week, it's going to have a link to the message so that you can listen um, to the message each week, which would be great. But we place, as Family Church, um, the, the value that we're looking at this week is that we are Bible-believing. Um, if you've been a part of Family Church for any length of time, I'm sure that you're aware that we are a Bible-believing church, that we hold to the word, um, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We don't pick verses out and say, that's my favorite and I'm going to preach that. We look at the whole scripture, we look at it in context, we try to preach and teach the word of God as it's meant to be um, and in context of what the Bible teaches. So we place a huge value on the Word of God. And I believe as, as the years have gone, if you've done this journey with us, you'll know that it is our spiritual blueprint. It is our foundation. Um, and, and the words of what Jesus said, it's the rock on which we build our life. It is the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the Word of God is that rock for us. God's Word is immutable and it's everlasting. What is that word immutable? Immutable means, relating to God, it means that God is unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his will and his covenant promises continually stand. The immutability of God. He is not, I am, a, I am the God, I am the Lord your God and I change not. That's it's identifying his immutability. He will not change. But do you know what? His word will never change. His word is constant and everlasting. And, and there's a scripture in Matthew 20, 24, 20, uh, 35, and Jesus is speaking and he says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. They are immutable. They are unchanging. They are constant. They are forever. All the promises of God are? Why? Because they are constant. You know, when they were first spoken, back when the Bible was written, when, when, when Moses was penning the Bible, when Abraham was walking with God, they are unchanging. When God said to Abraham, go out and if you can count the stars and if you can count the, the, the grains of the sand on the, on the seashore, then so shall your descendants be. That promise was there then and it is still today. That promise of I am a God and I never change. And I just love that about our God, he doesn't change. He doesn't, you can't fit him into a box here and then he's the same, you know, change him and put him in another box. God is outside the box. We can't put him in there. In our own life, we do. But God is outside the box and he is unchanging. Jesus, Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled the law in himself. And as he did, he revealed he revealed that he himself had come to reveal grace and truth. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. And then he came and said, hey, I'm revealing grace and truth. I'm revealing the heart of the Father. I'm revealing the heart of, of God himself in all aspects. Because you can't live to the requirements of the law, but I can. 
And therefore, I'm going to come preaching grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. But the, the only reason the law was given through Moses is because the children of Israel, were, were, sin was multiplying upon the earth. Everyone was doing what they felt was right in their own eyes, according to the book of Judges. And, and sin was rampant upon the earth. And God said, I can't allow the world to go into, uh, uh, implode in this way. So he said, look, I'm going to give the children of Israel the law, and it's going to show them how they should live, even though they can't live up to it. It's going to show them the way. And then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone comes to me, they shall live. And I just love this, and that he came preaching grace and truth. The word of God is yes and amen. It is when you take a hold of the promises of God's word, and you look and you find scriptures that relate to a need or an area of your life, you can go there and you say, God, that is what you have said. You are not a respecter of persons. It doesn't apply to this one and not to me. It doesn't apply back then and not to me today. God's word is eternal and his word is true. Therefore, we know he watches over his word to perform it. If his word and his covenant promises don't change, he's watching over that word. The angels of the Lord hearken to his vo- the voice of his command. The angel, you read that in Psalm 103, that the angels of heaven are hearkening to the word to accomplish and bring it to pass. God is looking and watching over his word to bring it to pass. I love the fact that the word of God is miraculous. If you, if you look at this book as just a textbook, a textbook, or if you just look at it as words on a page or, or print on a page, it has no power. It is spirit and it is life. When it's just logos, it's words on a page. But when it is rhema, it comes alive with the spirit of God all over it. I tell you what, we need the word to come alive in our hearts by the rhema or the revelation of spiritual truth. Let's take this a step back. In John 1 verse 1. You may say, oh, shouldn't we go to the beginning, which is Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. No, no, it starts the same, but we're going to go John 1 1. In the beginning was the word. How amazing. You know, in in the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning was God. Here, in the beginning was the Word. The same thing. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. It's exactly the same. Why? Because it goes on. And the Word was God. And the Word was... Sorry, and the Word was God. I'm getting ahead of myself. And the Word was God. And he was, uh, he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus and the Word are one. And the Word and God are one. When you read the Word, you are reading Jesus. The words of Jesus aren't just the words that are in red. 
It's nice to see what Jesus actually said, but it's God's word. It's God's gift. His word is a gift to us in our life. What we do with it, how much we read it, whether we just bring it on a Sunday. Remember, I'm trying to encourage you to bring your word. I forgot to forget to check to see how many people have brought it this week. Fantastic. Well done, Sylvie. I tell you, it is God's gift to our life. And what, what John, the beloved here, is speaking is possibly the most amazing moment in all history. You, know, you may think, oh, the birth of Jesus is the most amazing moment in all history. You may think the crucifixion is the most amazing moment in all history. This is probably the most amazing moment in all history. The reason being, he goes on to put it this way in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came preaching grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. And this moment, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The most spectacular moment in all history. Why? Because God, being completely just, Holy, sovereign, infinite, loving, and omnipresent, clothed himself in humanity. That is just amazing. That God who existed for all time, past and all time present, then brought within himself the ability to, through Jesus to be limited to time and space. Outside, he didn't need food to exist because he existed, because he's God. God is spirit. And all of a sudden, he confined himself to the limitation. That where God could be everywhere at any moment and being omnipresent, he limited himself to one human body. He was all God, and yet he was all man. It's just mind-blowing and beyond comprehension to our natural self. But we know this is what happened and what took place. And I believe this is why the church needs to know and have a value for the Word of God in our lives. The Word became flesh. You know, when you read the Gospels and you read through the, the epistles, and you hear the, the voice of God's Spirit coming through. It's Him speaking directly into your life. Melissa, it's God speaking directly into your world. It's God's voice into our heart, revealing His will, revealing His purpose, revealing His desire, revealing His power. It is God saying, this is my will and my testament. And he's sharing that with us. How easy it is that we take his word for granted. I don't, I don't know how many Bibles you may have. I, I look at my shelf my, in my office and I think, how many Bibles do I need? I need a... <laughs> is, 
And, and this, this, is my, this is my preaching Bible, and, and I've got others that look far worse, and I've got others that are brand new that, that I've never actually read because they're old English, and it's like I, can't, I, I find it hard to get, get my words around normal English, but old English, it's like I struggle. If you struggle with a version of the Bible, you know, if, if you've got only an old King James, perhaps get a, go and get a new King James, something that is easier to read. If you're struggling with the new King, uh, new King James, maybe go and get a new living translation or something that, that you feel you can, but make sure it's a Bible. You know, the, the message is an interpretation of the Bible. It's not a Bible. Um, use it as a, as a resource, but don't use it as your Bible that you read from because that's not going to help you understand God's Word. All right, just a freebie. We need every Christian to be strong in the Word. I'll tell you, there was a point in our life where, where I guess my life, my personal life, Jane's always been very much of the Word, in the Word, reading the Word. My life absolutely wasn't. Um, and, and there's a, like I've said before, there's a picture that I was painting, in, and it's in my mum's house. Hey, Wayne, I should have bought it this week. I should have bought it. It's, oh, I'm frustrated now. Anyway, in, I got the date on there. 1991, I stopped painting. I stopped being silly with my life. And I started to read his word. And I started to put God's word in my life. Great to see you. And I put God's word in my heart. And I started to grow in the things of God. And, and I didn't really understand it. I didn't really get it. And I'd, I'd go to Jane. I said, look, I've read the whole book of Ezekiel. This afternoon, who gets the book of Ezekiel? I, don't, I still don't get it now, and I've been the pastor for 20 years. It's like I still don't get it. But, do you know, it wasn't what I understood that helped me grow. It was my hunger that helped me grow. Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I didn't understand the book of Leviticus. I couldn't get the fatty lobes and the kidneys and the, and, and the, the sacrifices that were going. I didn't get what it was all about. But now I look at it and I think, wow, under the law, the sacrifice and the, the, the stuff that they had to go through. Thank God for Jesus. That we don't have to do that. That we had one who died in a sacrifice for our place. But I didn't understand the word. But I was putting it in my heart. And do you know what? What I realized is as I put it in my heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth began to speak. I, didn't, I, 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 would, I would listen to ministry tapes Five, six days, six days a week, I would listen to, on my post round, I'd listen to the word of God going in my heart, going in my heart. We would go to conferences. Our children were, how old were they? Six and under. And we would take them. We'd have, what, four? Four kids, six and under. And we took them on, on, on Bible camp things, whatever they were called, conferences. And, and, and it was bizarre. It was mad. We would sleep in the NCP car park and then go into the conference and then come out and go back into the conference and come out. And we would sleep in the car park for a week. Why? Because we were hungry for the word. 
I'm, I'm hungry for the word for you. Because it transformed our life. I didn't know how to, I didn't know what the concept of standing on the word, standing on the promises, what, what does that mean? You know, does it mean you get your Bible and you, you put it on the floor and you stand on it? I haven't. I did that once when I was in Hasler and I got told off for standing on the word. I was using it as an illustration. Do we know what it is to stand on the promises of God and haven't done all to stand? Know that God is going to come through for you. Do we know what it means to, to feed our lives with spiritual truth so that there is something in the well of our life that we can draw out when the pressure is on? Do we know what it means to say, hey, that is what you said you were. You are the Prince of Peace. There is peace that you give that the world doesn't understand. Do we know how to draw from the wells of salvation so that the well of truth comes forth in our heart? When in the midst of turmoil, when in the midst of chaos, we can say, from the well that is in me, peace is my portion. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control. Against such, such there is no law. It's in us. Therefore, how do we draw? How do we lift from the inside? And the, the greatest one, I guess, for me in my journey is when sickness and disease has hit our home, individually, me, or those around me, or those I pray for, how do I draw on the healing power of God in the middle of chaos or, or moments when, when I've, got, I've got no word to say? It is that which is in me then comes forth. 3 John 2. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. Psalm 103, bless the Lord on my soul, who forgives all my iniquities, heals all my diseases, redeems my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Out of the abundance of the heart, the scripture comes forth. Over and over again, Matthew, where Jesus is saying that all the sick were brought out to him and he healed them all. And he says, as it was fulfilled by Isaiah the prophet, that I carried our sicknesses and, and, and carried our, our diseases. That is the word coming up and rising up. and You say, well, I, I find it so hard to remember scripture. If you knew what my memory felt like, the memory of the righteous is blessed. That's one that I'm carrying in my heart right now. The memory, and I've been carrying this for a long time, that the memory of the righteous, I believe I'm righteous before God. Not because of mine, because of what he's done for me. And therefore, my memory is blessed. Sometimes I still slip back into saying, oh, I keep forgetting that. No, the memory of the righteous is blessed. If you're getting to an age where you think, oh, where's my glasses? Where's my keys? Where did I put my shoes? Start speaking over your life because you should be saying it at Kerwin's age. How old are you, Kerwin? 19. You should be speaking it at your age. The memory of the righteous is blessed. Not wait until you start forgetting where your keys are because then you start forgetting where the scriptures are. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. So, so healing scriptures 
I believe God honors that and produces healing. So peace scriptures and he will bring peace. So healing scriptures, he'll bring healing. Bring memory scriptures, he'll bring memory. Use whatsoever a man sows. And this is an incorruptible seed. So incorruptible, incorruptible seed into your life, you will receive incorruptible harvest in your world. It's a principle that works. And it's, it changed, it transformed our life as a couple and as a family. What do others say about the Word of God? I want to go through a few of the greatest leaders, scientists and um, writers of what they said about the Bible. Because the Bible is, according to Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Do you know what? Liz, trust, she needs the word of God in her life right now. The, yeah, they all do, yeah. <laughs> Including Nicholas Sturgeon. <laughs> I heard you say it, Stephen. <laughs> they all need. <laughs> they all need, don't they? That, don't they, our politicians, need God right now? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Don't we need that for our daily life as well? Because I don't want to be led in the paths of darkness or compromise. I don't want to be led down a down a dead-end path. I, when it comes to what we do as a church, I want, I want God's will. I, I don't want my will. I don't want somebody else's will. I don't want the opinion of everybody's will. I want God's will because what God's will is succeeds. What God's will is brings to pass. This is what a few of these guys and ladies had to say. George Washington. Let's start with George Washington. I know, I don't know if there's any Americans in the room or come from America, but George Washington, first president of America, said this. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without the Bible. What a great start, eh? Abraham Lincoln. But for this book, we could not know right from wrong. I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. Let me question. Let me question here. I may do this again in a minute. Where do you place value on the Word of God? I can tell you, I could tell you exactly the level of value you place on His Word by asking you how often you read it. I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. But it reveals how important his word is to your life. Let me go. Let me carry on. Winston Churchill. We rest with assurance upon the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture. Sir Isaac Newton. We account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than any profound history whatsoever. Michael Faraday, why will, why will people go astray when they have this blessed book to guide them? Charles Dickens, it is the best book that ever was or ever will be in the world. George V, I think he had a bit of a mistake here, but you know, the English Bible is, well, didn't he realize it came 
from, the, from Israel. <laughs> but anyway, George V says, the English Bible is the most valuable thing this world affords. Queen Elizabeth II, to what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house, the Bible? I could have listed hundreds, but for time, I, re I reduced it to these. I wonder how many of these men and women, these individuals of leaders and, and literary scholars, I wonder how many of them knew the scripture in Joshua 1.8. I wonder how many of us in this room knows what Joshua 1.8 says. Because if you knew the power in this one scripture, it would bring success to your life. You want success, you want provision, you want God to minister into your home, your family, your marriage, your whatever it is that you do. This scripture is a scripture that began to transform our understanding. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says this, This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it by day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. The key is the word of God. The key is, what are you sowing? See, you could be so busy trying to set up business after business. You could be so entrepreneurial that you think that you're going to have the ability to make this, that, or the other happen. But you know what? The Bible is so clear. God gives witty inventions to us. It's God who gives those things. The Bible, there's a scripture. I, 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 didn't look, I didn't think about that scripture. It's in the Bible. He gives witty ideas for us to find. So if you've got a bit of an entrepreneurial, find that scripture for yourself. Not, don't ask me where it is. Find it for yourself and put it in your heart. God, give me witty ideas. In other words, inventions. Things that no one else has thought of. You will make your way prosperous. Now, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about prosperous in your family and in your, in your world, whatever that looks like. You, you know, we're made up of pizzas, if you like. We're a, a life. There's my hobby life. There's my church life. There's my God life. There's my married life. There's my family life. There's my whatever else life. Fishing life, thank you. <laughs> whoever said that knows me well. Who said the fishing? Oh, thank you, Maureen. <laughs> fishing. That's a very small segment. <laughs> but our lives are made up of segments that make up the whole of who you are. Is God at the center? Or do we put him on the outside in some of those areas of our life? And he's on the peripheral of our family. Or he's on the peripheral of our time. Or we may be on the peripheral of our finance. See, when God is at the center of our finance, we tithe, we give offerings, we see his blessing. When he's on the peripheral, we struggle to make ends meet. Why, 
We've had to live this. The righteous have never been forsaken or out begging bread. Why? Because there is a God who watches over them. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Again, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, just as your soul prospers. How do we get soul prosperity? When we read God's word. Your spirit is prosperous already. How do we get soul prosperity? Because it's the soul that needs to be transformed, isn't it? The spirit is transformed in a twinkle of an eye. In a moment, we go from darkness into light. The spirit is changed in a moment. Our soul is where soul prosperity needs to come in. That happens through the word of God. God is always backing his covenant promises. God is always backing them. In Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man. He's not, he's not like people perhaps who have let you down in the journey of your life in different situations. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Has he spoken and will he not make good? It's just, there are other promises like this in the Bible. Isn't that just so good? When you find a promise in God's word and you say, Lord, I, I, I'm, you know, just flick through the word. Let's go to Isaiah 53 or Psalm 103. God, this is what you've said. And then he turns around and then you turn around and said, Have you, God is not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Have you not said... And will you not do? And we remind him. Why do we remind him? He says, put me in remembrance of my word. He didn't say, put me in remembrance of your complaining. or in the, Don't put me in remembrance of your need. He says, put me in remembrance of my word. So often we go to him with our complaining or with our issues or, or with our complaints and, and, and problems. And, but he says, no, put me in remembrance of my word. This potentially could be a life-changing message for some. Neither he nor his word nor his promises nor his covenant promises ever change. He's immutable, and so is his word. He is never-ending, unchanging, everlasting, immutable, and upholds all things by the words of his power. I want to conclude with this. It's a little story I read as I was preparing this message, and I thought, yeah, that, that works. And it's of this old, old hermit of a man who was up in the hills of Colorado digging for gold for years in his life. And eventually he passed away and his family members came to, to pick up anything that was left, any heirlooms, anything that he would have had there of any value, any gold that they could find. And they went into the shack where he had been for the last 30 years of his life. And they walked in through the door of this shack and there was an old table with an old chair with an old oil lamp and some mining equipment around the room. 
And they took the bits and pieces that they thought, well, you know, we may as well have it, we may as well clear it. And they walked back out and they loaded it on the truck. And as they were loading the stuff, the old man's friend came walking along. And, they, and he said to the family, they said, if there's any, is, is there anything left in there that I could have for my mining? And they said, well, there's a few old broken bits and bobs in there, but you're more than welcome to help yourself. He said, thank you very much, and the family left. And as he walked in, he walked over to the table. And under the table, he lifted a loose floorboard, and he began to remove 30 years of gold. Millions of dollars of gold. The reason the friend knew is because he walked close with his friend. I want to leave you with this thought. If the word of God is always at a distance, you'll be like the family members. You know he exists. You have a partial relationship with him. And you want to get what's left. But if you've got a close relationship with him, you will delve into the word of God, live in his word, and find the treasure that's within it. My last scripture is this. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. The more you know him, the more the riches will begin to flow. The more you know him, you'll be singing the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. The more you know him, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. My question today is, do you know him? Not do you know about him. Do you know him? If you're here today and you think you know Jesus, you think you've got a relationship, you think you'd go to heaven if you died right now, thinking that that may happen is not enough. I was talking to someone in the week and I said, you, you, you need to know what the password to heaven is. Because there is a password to heaven. If you've not got the password, please feel free to talk to me afterwards. All right? If you've not got the password to heaven, there is a password to heaven. Because Jesus is the door. And only Jesus will open the door. And it's what we do with Jesus here on this earth that is the pass, pass, password to heaven. If you think you can make it to heaven, you're mistaken. If you think you're going to do good enough to get to heaven, you're going to help enough neighbors to get to heaven, you're going to give enough money to the church to get to heaven, you're wrong and you're mistaken. It is what we do with Jesus. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. 
In many senses, that is talking about walking into a relationship with us. Um, in some senses, in other senses, it is the fact that he's waiting for those who hunger for him so that he can come in and fill us. Absolutely. But do you know what? He's still standing at the door of our heart, whether we know him or whether we don't. When we get to the pearly gates of heaven, and whoever it is that's on the gate, gate duty that day turns around and says, why should I let you in? What is your answer? Why do you think I'm going to let you in? The answer has to be Jesus. What Jesus did for me, what Jesus redeemed me from, what Jesus set me free from, what Jesus' blood has done for me, is all Jesus. Jesus is the key. And it's our relationship with him that makes the difference. So if you don't know Jesus here today, I want to pray a very simple prayer to invite you into a relationship with him that will change your life forever. So let's, church, pray this together this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you are the answer. You were the answer to our sin. You are the answer to our failures. You're the answer to our emptiness. You're the answer to heaven. And Father, today, I want to make you my Lord and Savior. I thank you what Jesus did for me at the cross. That he bled and died. He gave his life for mine. This day, Jesus, I receive you in my heart. Amen. While every head is bowed and every eye closed. I'm not asking for religion. I'm not asking whether you grew up in church and you think you're safe and sound. I'm asking, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Because Jesus is the only way going to ask for a response from you this morning if you've if you this morning prayed that prayer and suddenly things have come to make sense for you I'm going to ask you for a response this morning that response is yes I prayed that prayer sincerely in my heart and as you pop up your hand as a faith response to that prayer you're acknowledging Jesus in your heart and in your life I'm going to count to three I'm going to ask for a response one two Three, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, just pop up your hand nice and high. Thank you, Sylvie. Is there anybody else in the room? Thank you, I see that hand there. Is there anybody else in the room? You say, yes, that's me. Is there anybody else? Jesus loves you and gave his life for you. Is there anybody else? Just going to count down from five, five. Four, three, two, one. Father, I thank you that every one of us in this room know you, have a walk with you. And Father, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and our lives, that we would carry this message into the world, that we would be your messengers in the 21st century. Lord, that we would be your mouthpiece, that we would be your hands and feet as we carry truth, grace and truth into this world. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So, Family Church, we are, we are Bible-believing. So bring them, read them, and share what's in them. All right? Bring them, read them, and share what's in them.